before I, before we start, we're in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, lesson 14. Does, does everybody understand the essence of Christianity is selflessness? Jesus came selflessly. This is what we're celebrating today, is it not? We're celebrating Christmas. The whole essence of the story that we're talking about, God leaving the glory of heaven and all that is his, taking on a form of a child to come to live among us, was an act of selflessness on his part for our salvation. That is the essence of Christianity. And when you look at what God calls us to as believers in the Bible, it's selflessness. And so when you talk about, and we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, remember it started off with the discussion of meat offered to idols. The whole issue is, who's most important in your life? You or someone else? And so you may have a right and you may have a freedom and you may have liberty to do whatever you want to do in Jesus. Now, there's, there's some limits there. Because even just saying that, that doesn't sound right. Because you don't have the right to do whatever you want to do. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. You really are to live your life in light of others around you and what will help them and what benefits them, not what you want. Now, immediately when you think, when I say that, and I've, I've shared this with you before, immediately the natural self, the, the very essence of who you are, your pride, your, your selfishness, will say, well, man, that's just bondage. That's just a restraint. And you're restraining my freedom when you say that kind of stuff. The issue isn't that I'm wrong. The issue is, is that your thinking's wrong. And when you, if you're governed by those kind of thoughts, then the essence is, is that there's something out of line in your life. Because your life is not in line with the Bible. Your life is in line with what you want, you know what I'm saying, and, and the selfishness and so forth. And so what we're going to talk about today is, Paul's going to talk about, especially from his life, he's going to talk about the sacrifice of freedom. He's going to illustrate from his life that he is sacrificing his freedom for the sake of others. For the sake of others. So let's, let's go on. We're going to go through these. Look with me, verses 19 through 23 of chapter 9. And here's what he says. For I am free from all men and have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law. Not being without the law toward God, but under the law towards Christ that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. So we're going to talk about his attitude here. First of all, here's his attitude. Paul voluntarily gave up his rights for the sake of others. Now, notice something. He voluntarily... So, this is a choice that has to be made. This doesn't happen naturally. Does everybody understand? Putting the needs of others before yourself is not a natural choice. How many of you find that you, you struggle with being selfish? How many of you find that that's easy? What I mean is it's easy for you to be... You find it very hard to be selfish. 
making that choice to be selfish. Is that a hard decision on your part to be selfish? No. No. No, in fact, it's easier for you to be selfish. Now, how many of you find it's hard to put the needs of others before your own? All of us do, don't we? See, you've got to make that choice. You have to make a choice. Paul voluntarily decided, I'm going to lay aside what I want for the sake of others. Now, here, let me explain something to you. Now, you say, now, why would he make that choice? Because Paul's got an eternal perspective. We're going to see that later. See, when you're living for now, who are you living for? Yourself. But if you've got an eternal perspective of what's coming and the reward that will be there and of being taken care of by Christ, it really doesn't matter what happens now. You will do later. You will do for later. You will give up now for later, for the benefit of later. You understand? So he's voluntarily making that choice. You've got to make that choice. I've got to make that choice. And believe me, it doesn't come easy. And let me express it this way. How many times a day do you think you have to make that choice? Yeah, Mike said it continually. I mean, it's everything. It's everything from, how many of you were in Walmart yesterday? I was there. Holy moly, all the lines were open. People waiting in line for a cart. Wow, I was blown away. I got in, got out of there. Now, here's my point. Do you think people were being really nice there? Like, oh, I've been waiting in this line for ten minutes for my cart. Oh, you need a cart? Here, go ahead and take my cart. How about waiting in checkout late? And you got that person there who maybe gets an item that doesn't have a tag on it, and they got a call for somebody to go back to the area, and then they find out it was the last one and no tag on it, and they got the light blinking. And, and you want to, like, and you're almost there to getting out, you know, and, and what are your thoughts? And your thoughts are, you know, I'm going to be patient with this person. I'm going to, uh, you know, just bear with it. You know, it's just Saturday, you know. What are your thoughts? How are you thinking? Not worth mentioning, right, is it? Do you see my point? You're going to be faced with decisions continually about putting others before yourself. Continually. And so Paul says that he voluntarily... Gave up his rights for the sake of others. Now, how does that compare with the attitudes that we that are held by our culture? What's our culture say? Yeah, get yours, me first. If, you, if I don't take care of myself, nobody's going to take care of me. Isn't that the attitude? Now, here's the thing. Can I be honest with you? What do you what do you what attitude do you think the church reflects? We see the attitude of Paul, and it's a reflection of a Christ-like attitude. And then you'd have the attitude of the church. Excuse me, the culture. Which, which one does the church reflect? To be very honest with you. What does it reflect? It should reflect the Christ-like attitude, but it's reflecting what? The culture. Now, do you think people see that? you think? Yeah, because they understand something about Christians that we don't understand. We have forgotten. You say, what do you mean they understand something about Christians that we don't understand? They know, there's enough people, and this is a Christian, you know, not a Christian nation, it's a secular nation. There's enough Christianity that has been here that people understand the essence of Christianity. And when they look at the church, they say, well, you guys aren't living up to what you supposedly say you believe. So, yeah, they, they may, but we look at it and say, oh, we're doing okay. We're doing all right. See, we're blind to our own problem. Now, listen, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus and John in the Gospel of John, he said, By this shall they know that you are my 
disciples by your love for one another. Now, that's what Jesus said, that those outside would know the reality of our faith, our discipleship, by our what? Look, now, okay, let's go back to the question. Who are we reflecting? Are we reflecting the Christ-like attitude, or are we reflecting the culture in the church? Who are we reflecting? Okay, let me ask you this. How many of you would say the culture? Raise your hand. Okay, now, all right, most of you. All right, all of you. All right, here's my point. How are we doing compared to what Jesus said? By this shall they know that you are my disciples. How are we doing? Mike just said, they can't tell us from the world. Oh, but they do tell us because they would say we're religious. And that they would, we, we hold to something that we don't believe. Yeah? Yeah? That's true. But they would look at us and say we're really religious because what we do is, is we will condemn them for their, for their, what they're doing. You understand? We will, we, we sit in the place of moral superiority. Now you may not personally. But what I'm saying is Christians have a tendency to sit and judge others based upon what they're doing is wrong. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Let me remind you of something. How's an unsafe person going to act? He's going to act like an unsafe person. Can he do what's right? But ultimately can he, without Christ. They can be good people. What allows you to do what's right for a Christian? The Holy Spirit. Here's what I'm saying. So when you look at the activities of the unsaved, and we're sitting there condemning them, they're only doing what their bent is. You understand? That's why Paul says, look, this is what the Apostle says. The Apostle says that we're not to judge the world. There's only one judge of the world, that's who? Christ. He said if we were to separate ourselves from the world because of their sin, we would have to leave the what? Planet. We'd have to leave the earth. But we are to judge who? Who are we to judge? There is someone that we are to judge. Ourselves. Now, you look at what's happening today. How are we doing with the judging ourselves? How are we doing judging the world? Yeah, we're doing real good on that. Do you see what I'm saying? We've got it reversed. We've got it reversed. I was listening to a pastor this week. He pastors a very large church out in Seattle, Washington. And, you know, he has decided... You know, he, he takes a stand on conservative values, but he's not going to war for them. Because he said, if you go to war for your conservative values, who are you warring against? He said, you're warring against the very people you're trying to reach. And so he's in a very liberal area. You know, crazy stuff happens in Seattle. But they have, he was listed as one of the top ten most influential people in the city of Seattle last year. And their church is growing because they're reaching people for Christ. Why? Because he's chosen not to go to war against people who need Christ. See, Paul's saying, I give up what my rights are. I give up everything for the sake of others. Why am I bringing that? So let's, let's look, for instance, at some specific things. We'll go right through them. He was willing to subject himself to the laws of the Jews for their sake. He was willing to submit himself to the legalism of the Jews. Now, that, we talked about that a little bit last week. You, we have a struggle with that, don't we? Because we have legalists in our lives that will say, well, you know, you need to do this. But, you know, for the sake of others, I'm going to do what? I'm going to give up my right for the sake of others. I like loud music. I like it banging. But a lot of people don't like that. Now, it's not my place 
to say to them, you need to listen to my loud Christian music. If I had that attitude, and you, you got in my car, and I said, oh, well, here, here's third day. Just turned it up. What would you be thinking? Get me out of here. You know, my ears are hurting. Boy, he's being really inconsiderate. You know what I'm saying? Now, but if you got in my vehicle, I'm not going to run the radio. You understand? I'm not going to turn on the radio. Why? Because I, I'm going to consider your needs before my own. I can listen to it later, Lyle. But as long as you're in my vehicle, I'm going to consider your needs first. You understand? That's reality. And, and, and so, that's the issue. Let's go on. Paul was setting aside the traditions of the Jews to reach Gentiles. Now, there is a sense in which I've got to be willing to set aside my preferences and traditions to reach other people. So, for instance, let me give you an example. How many of you like tattoos? Okay, let me ask you a question. Twenty years ago, was that something people were okay with in church? Twenty years ago, what about earrings? On girls, maybe. Not on guys, twenty years ago. And the church somewhat still reflects that same attitude from 20 years ago. But I just saw this this week. Listen to this. 18 to 25-year-olds, one in three 18 to 25-year-olds have a tattoo. From 25 to 40, four out of every ten have a tattoo. Here's another one. Four out of every ten have some sort of body piercing from 18 to 25. That means they have some piece of metal stuck in them somewhere other than their ears. And the most prevalent group to have that is women. Now, here's the interesting thing. For the 40 and over crowd, they lumped it both together, tattoos and body piercings. For the 40 and over crowd, anybody want to guess how many of the 40 and over crowd have a tattoo or a body piercing? What's that? Okay, that's, that's close. 21%, two out of every 10 people have that, over 40. So that means 80% don't. 80% would look at it as what? Crazy, yeah. Here's the other thing. The interesting thing, the other day, I'm in this place, and here comes this guy in a suit. He looks really nice, and he has earrings hanging out of both of his ears. That's our culture. Now, here's my thing. Now, if you've got a problem with that, how hard is it going to be for you to reach a person who has that? Okay, yeah, it's going to be very hard. See, here's the thing. Paul was willing to set aside his traditions to read Jewish people. Are, are we willing to set aside our traditions? You know? But see, when we put our preferences first of what we think should be, and listen, to be honest with you, your preferences may not necessarily be biblical. You understand what I'm saying? They just may be your values. And not all the values that we hold culturally are biblical values. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because if we were to, if they were, then we're in trouble. I know I'll be in trouble. Why? Because I eat cheeseburgers. And the, to the Jews, that's an abomination to mix dairy with meat. And it's based on a Levitical law about don't boil the calf in its mother's milk. How they got, got that from there to a cheeseburger, I don't know, but they do. So do you understand? When you start holding... And here's the thing, I heard one pastor say this, that if you got every pastor from all over the country to come together and make a list of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, it would be World War III. 
See, some of what we hold to is not necessarily biblical. And so, let me explain it this way. There are some things, I think, that, and I heard this as an illustration, I think this is a good, good illustration. In my right hand, I hold, let's say, these are issues of doctrine. What's right and what's wrong. That's biblical. I hold it in my right hand tight. Those, they're, they're, you know, the deity of Jesus. The virgin birth. The fact that he's coming back. Salvation by faith alone. Those things I hold tight. I won't give up those things. In this hand are my traditions, my preferences. I have to hold them loosely. This I hold tight. This, when I share with others, when I go and talk with them, is a non-negotiable. I hold them tight. This, my traditions and preferences, that are, you know, what they could be simply because, you know, hey, you know, that just may be a family tradition. How many of you have family traditions and when you finally got out of your family and you went around people and you were like, what, you don't do this on Christmas? What's up with you? You know, especially for your married couples, when you first had your first married. You know, what do you mean you guys don't do this? You know? You have to hold things loosely for the sake of others. This hand, you hold them in tightly. This hand, you hold them loosely. You understand? Yes, those things in your left hand do change. Boy, have they changed in my life. Yeah, she's right. Let me give you an example. Lori will tell you this, okay? We just got married. I'm from the South, all right? I'm from South Carolina. Spent six years after that in, in Virginia going through schooling and everything. And we're just married. And we move up to her area and we go to church. So guess how I dress going to church? I had a suit and tie on. Her church, Old Mahoning, they got dairy farmers in there. I mean, they got people working at Christmas trees. I mean, they're just farmers. Guess how they came to church? Like you guys are right here, right now. And so here's what Lori said. Lori said, why don't you give up the suit? You're not even preaching. The preacher's the only one wearing a suit. I said, well, you know, it's, I was bringing my southern preference, preference, Making it a law. The only time they wore a suit in that church was Easter. It was funny. You see all these guys, they show up in a suit on Easter. So yeah, and guess what now? Look at me. You know? No, it isn't, but I'm using it as an illustration of what you said about how the things in your left hand you listen up on. You understand? Now, the things in my right hand... I heard Chuck Swindoll say this. How many of you know who Chuck Swindoll is? If you listen to radio sometimes. Okay, I've heard Chuck Swindoll say that when he first entered into ministry, there were a lot of things he would die for. But he said now that as he's gotten older, there are only very few things he would die for. The other stuff he would See, when you're talking about reaching people, Paul was willing to set aside the left-hand stuff to reach people. To see them come to Christ. You understand? Our problem has been is that we have lumped everything together and made it all right-hand stuff. You, you, under, you know what I mean? So Paul's saying he was willing to set aside the traditions 
See, there's some things we're not going to set aside. They're in the right hand. But there are some things that we will set aside. So, three, four years ago, I set aside the suit. That's put in a big difference. We have a lady who comes to our church here, who came here 30 years ago. She said 30 years ago, she came in a pants suit, and when she was walking out the door, the preacher told her, come back and address next week. And she didn't come back to church again until she came here just a couple of years ago, a year ago or so. And what made her decide to stay was, is she saw a young girl come in with a pair of sweats on and had something written on the bottom of her, you know. And she thought, well, if she's allowed to come here, I can come here. Now, whether or not you wear a pantsuit or a dress, is that a right hand or a left hand issue? We've matured enough now to realize it's a left hand issue, isn't it? But some of you are holding left hand issues in the right, and that's a stumbling block to you to reaching other people. Okay, let's go on now. He not just talks about the one who is without the law, a Gentile. He talks about the spiritually immature, what he calls the weak. Now, when Paul refers to the weak here, he's not talking about, oh, he's a weakling, he can't pick up a sack of potatoes. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about somebody who's spiritually immature. And so he was willing to give up his rights for the spiritually immature. So he's basically encompassed everybody here. He's encompassed from the Jew and his legalism to the, to the Gentile and his lack of law, all the way now to the spiritually immature person, he's willing to give it all up for who? For them. He's willing to give it all up for them. Now, here's why. Here's his purpose in doing this. And see, this is what we're missing. This is the purpose of it. Paul did this so that the gospel would be heard by as many people as possible. Paul did this so that the gospel would be heard by as many people as possible. How many of you uh, have been like to Hershey or uh, Kennywood and you know that when you enter in the gate there, you've got to kind of, I think it's like this at, uh, at I know it's like this at Kennywood, they've got a turnstile thing there. And you go through and you got to, and it, it clicks to count how many people it is. Our churches have basically had a turnstile. Of, and, and, but the turnstile has been our left-hand issue of whether or not you can come here. Our preferences. See, Paul's purpose to lay aside all that stuff was is so that many people, as many people as possible, could hear the gospel. See, he is thinking about other people. He's not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about himself. You know, we're going to be shocked one day when we go before Jesus. You say, what do you mean, George? You know, we all have to give an account of our lives when we go before Jesus. The Bible very clearly says that every idle word will be taken into account. Jesus said that himself. I regret the day that I'm going to have to explain when I use left-hand issues to judge others and, and it hindered them from coming to the gospel. That, that, I'm maturing enough to know the, to let loose of things. Can't we all do that? 
See, the church, there's a prevalent attitude. The, the prevalent attitude is people look at us and they say, well, I don't want anything to do with that. And you know what? They're right. For some of us, it's hard to even tolerate it. Man, we need to be more like Jesus. All right, let's go on. We're, we're going to get through this lesson. Here's what he says. Look with me, verse 24 through 27. Here's what he says. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable one. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body to bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Here's Paul. He's, already, he's talking about that personal sacrifice, of sacrificing his freedom, and he's going to tell you the reason why. He's going to tell you the eternal perspective that he has here as to why he's going to act this way so that others come to Christ. So Paul has an eternal perspective here. He's going to talk about it in terms of a race. He says, for instance, the focus of an athlete is a prize. Listen, when you look at those guys like, for instance, Michael Phelps. Everybody know about Michael? Everybody should know about Michael Phelps, the swimmer, okay? Blew away Mark Spitz's record. I mean, probably it's not going to happen again in a long time, all right? And you, how many of you saw what, on the news there how much he eats a day? Like for his breakfast. I, you know, I couldn't even put away that much stuff. I mean, that guy, I mean, he's putting away a lot of food and stuff. Why? And it's all part of his lifestyle, his whole life. Understand something. When you talk about these athletes, it's a lifestyle. It's, a whole, it's not just something they decide to do just three hours out of the day. Their whole focus in the day is what? Competition. It's a lifestyle to be the kind of athlete who wins eight gold medals. And so, what are they focused on? What's he focused on? The next Olympics. You know what I'm saying? He's running, he, he, the athlete is focused on what? The prize. Okay, that's what Paul says. Now, here's what he says. Paul is calling the reader to live life with such a focus. Here, here's the problem. I've, I've heard uh, Rick Warren describe it this way, and I thought it was good. We view life like a chest of drawers. With a chest of drawers, you got what? Drawers in it, right? You got small drawers, you got big drawers. You got drawers for your socks, you got drawers for your underwear, you got drawers for your handkerchiefs, you got drawers for your pants and your t-shirts, your grubbies. And we view Christianity that way. And so, you know, I've got my church life over here, and this is how I'm at church. And then I've got my family life. And if you notice, sometimes the way we are with our family is not the same way we are in church. That's just reality, okay? And the way you are with your family, the way you are at church is definitely not the way you are at work. And then you got your buddy drawer, then how you are with your buddies. And then you got your really small drawer is how you are with yourself. And what we do in the West is we compartmentalize our life. So when we talk about being devoted to Jesus, we talk about one drawer. Our church and devotional life. A lot of times that doesn't equate over to how I am at work or how I am at home or how I am here or there. That is a Western way of thinking. 
You understand? That is a Western Greek way of thinking. Paul is talking from an Eastern mentality, from a Palestinian mentality of there, the Jewish mentality, where your whole life is to be focused on what? Christ. And when he talks about your whole life, to a Jew, their whole life was everything from their family, their interaction with their family, to their work. Their whole life was focused with God. We compartmentalize everything. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we act one way here, we act another way there. And is it any wonder people say that we're what? Hypocrites. So Paul's saying here, he's calling the reader to live life with such a focus. He wants us to live like an athlete who's going to the Olympics, so every part of your life, every decision that you make in that day, is focused on going to the Olympics. You know? And so that's the issue. So he goes on now. The athlete will discipline his life to win the race. You're going to discipline your life to win the race if you're an athlete. The same thing's required of us. You and I are to, and Paul, in fact, here's what Paul says to Timothy. He said to Timothy, exercise yourself unto godliness. It requires something of us. Listen, let me explain something to you. If all you're going on is just Sunday, you're not going to get far. It's going to require that you spend time reading His Word, prayer, meditating, doing other things that are, that are referred to as spiritual disciplines, so that you grow in your life. Because if all you're going on is a 20-minute sermon, excuse me, 40-minute sermon from George, you know, you're not going to get through life. You know what I'm saying? It isn't going to happen. So let's go on then. Here's what he says. The athlete will give up the things of life to win. You know, you look at the lifestyle of some of the athletes. They're not living like the Hollywood rich. You understand? They're not doing all of that because their focus is on something else, the competition. They're going to give up certain things in their life to what? Win. Let's go on now. But he gives us a perspective here. The athlete's race is for that which is temporary. Now, here's the thing. For instance, Michael Phelps won eight gold medals. Somebody else may not, may, may not win eight gold medals, but somebody else is going to win those events, right? Well, yeah, they, are, they are going to beat his times. I mean, because the times that Mark Spitz won with back in 72, they've been long since been beat. They were probably beaten within the next year. And so it's just temporary. So let's go on. Paul tells the readers that they are racing for the eternal. See, you and I are in a race just like the athlete, except we're racing for the eternal, not for here. You understand? We're, we're, we're racing for the eternal, not for here. And so here's what he says. Paul ran the race with the certainty of the future. He understood what was ahead of him. He understood the eternal perspective. You and I as Christians should have a, an understanding of the eternal perspective. Let's talk about the eternal perspective. What does eternity hold for you as a Christian? Anybody? Who are you going to be with? Heaven? Okay. Who are you going to be with? With Christ. Okay, we know that. Now let's live like that. Live with that in mind. Okay, let's go on. The next thing he says here. 
Paul brought his body and desires into subjection. See, now you say, wait, well, why did he do that? Remember now, the reason why we don't live for others is because we're living for who? For ourselves. When we live for ourselves, it comes out of our what? The cravings and the desires of our what? Our own bodies. So, he brought his body and his desires into subjection. And then finally, here's the purpose. Here's why he did it. Paul did this so that nothing would hinder what? The spread of the gospel. He did this so that nothing would hinder the gospel. He didn't want to be disqualified. You know, how many, how many guys have you seen have disqualified themselves? And I'm not just talking about preachers. How many guys have you seen at work that, that carry the big Bible, for, you know, you know, not literally a Bible, but they might as well be carrying a Bible, and they're bumping and thumping on people's heads about the Bible, but yet their whole life and the way they live, cheating their boss, the way they talk, talk about women, their language, everything, but yeah, they're saved. They got their, and you need to get saved too. You think that they're disqualified? Their lifestyle, what? Disqualified their message. Because, listen, people aren't dumb. They see right through it. They're going to say, man, I'm sure glad I'm not like him. At least I'm living what I believe. He's not even living. He talks it. But he sure does believe something else to you. This is what Paul's saying. I put the needs of others before my life, and I live my life in such a way that what? Others won't be hindered as they hear the message. All right, let's close our time in prayer.